Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So Deb Veroli says, I don't understand. And I said, hey, how are you going to sue them over intellectual property? I haven't even written yet. Like, I mean, it doesn't even make sense. And he says, we're going to sue them for theft of intellectual property. He says, it's not that hard to allege theft of intellectual property when there's multiple versions that are accessible. So don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of it no matter what. No matter what, we're going to monetize this. And I remember thinking, oh, these guys are a couple of con men. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in prison for being a con man, but these guys are a couple of con men. Hey, this is Matt Cox. This is part seven of my story when I was in prison. And at this point, um, at this point, I am meeting with Ross Reback, my literary agent, and Ephraim Devaroli. We met in visitation, and Devaroli ended up. We ended up arranging our meeting so that I would be meeting with Ross Reback, who was approved to come visit me because he'd come to visit me earlier at another time with my brother-in-law, who was a lawyer. So my brother-in-law got him approved as kind of like, I don't know, an associate or legal counsel or something. I forget. But so Ross came in to see me and um, Dev Rowley's, I think his... I want to say it was his mother, his sister, and might have been both of his brothers. I think maybe it was just one of his brothers. I don't know. But they came to see to see me. Or they, they came to see him. So what happened is I go and I see I see Ross and Deveroli shows up and he's there with his family and they're all talking. And and the, you gotta think the visitation room, it's a big room. It's probably, gosh, I don't know. It's 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 big. It's like it's gotta be a hundred, nah, I don't know if it's a hundred feet, but it's it's probably 60 feet by 40 feet. It's filled with these plastic chairs uh, and little tiny like tables. Like it's super uncomfortable. Um, there are windows on the, you know, there's windows around it in a few places, but you have to think this is like double blocked um, construction. So there's two blocks with poured with concrete there are windows but they have these thick thick bars on the windows um and and then there's an outside too you could actually go outside but the outside was like same thing it was just this this massive these massive walls that probably go up 20 probably probably i don't know about 20 maybe 10 or 15 feet and then it's covered with like a a a 
a screening like you would have like let's say for your um for your pool so it's got this huge covering for your for like a like a pool screening screen it's screened in and you could go out there and sit in these these poured concrete benches and poured concrete picnic tables and you know people go out there and sit down so we ended up you know Deveroli was out there and I think his sister ended up coming to us and saying, hey, you can come sit with us. What happened was in the middle of Deveroli's, in the middle, Deveroli's mother and brother and sister, like they have no idea this is what's happening. They just drove four and a half hours from Miami to be there before anybody to, to wait and see him. And so they get there, they come in, they talk for maybe maybe 30 minutes in the middle of the conversation. He looks at his watch and he says, listen, I scheduled a business a business meeting. Uh, so I've got these guys that are here. And they're like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, I've got these guys that are here. They're going to come and they're going to uh, – this is a guy who's writing uh, – I want him to write my book and his literary agent. So I scheduled this business meeting here. Even though his family drove four and a half hours to spend the day with him. And when they, I say spend the day, they might be able to spend three or four hours with him. And he just decided 30 minutes into it, got a business meeting. And keep in mind, too, they have to sit there with us. If they can't get up and go sit somewhere else or the guards will come over and say, what's going on? Like, why is this inmate sitting with you? Why are you guys talking? Because you're not really supposed to mix like people – what we were doing, you're not supposed to do. But they get so crowded sometimes, they'll actually tell you, hey, go sit with those people. Or you guys got to – you have to sit at the same bench. You have to share. So they can't really stop you because it's so crowded they want you to sit together. Anyway, um, we I, I, his sister comes over. So his mom's furious, by the way. Mother's furious. Uh, the sister's furious. The brother could care less. Like he, his brother, I'm pretty sure knows his his brother's a jerk. So the sister comes over. I, I'm pretty sure it's sister. She comes over and she says, "Hey, come outside." So we go outside and we sit down. And I'm like, "Hi." And Reback kind of introduces himself to everybody. And his mother, I can tell, is furious. And so Reback pitches himself to to Devaroli. Like he basically explains who he is. And while and, and he's like, look, here's who I am, here's what I do, here's what I've done. He used to represent Ron and Ron in the morning, which was a huge syndicated show. Uh, I've done this, I've bought this, uh, the life right, I've optioned life rights here, I've done this, I've sold a bunch of um whatever. He goes through a whole thing, he pitches himself. He does a great job. And Deveroli's like, okay, okay, well, you know, so you think you could, what do you think you can do? And he's like, I think we can do this. I think we can do that. And so he goes through this whole thing of when, of how he believes he can get this um, accomplished, uh, get him, get a book done and option the film rights and possibly even get, really, he's thinking he can get a movie or a series done on Deveroli. But he, his big thing was, I need to get, we need to get a book done as quickly as possible. I remember his mother is furious and I'm just sitting there. Like I, I only got, went and did this to arrange the whole thing so that they could meet. So while they're sitting there pitching, um, I remember Devaroli's sister said, Ross made some comment about how 
he believed that he could get it done. And he said, and, and she's like, well, how do we know you can get this done? And he says, well, I mean, I've gotten a lot. I've accomplished a lot. And I, I accomplished this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done this. I've done all, been successful in all of these things. And she goes, well, maybe you just get lucky a lot. I mean, she was like super hard on him. And I remember she said, she goes, well, maybe you just got, maybe you just got lucky a lot. And I said, well, I'd rather be lucky than I'm, than good. And then Ross says, I say that all the time. I'd rather be lucky than good. And I said, you'd be so sh- shocked at how often luck plays a part in just any given, you know, scenario. Like, I mean, you look at, look at American Idol, like the top 20 people that are on that show or top 10 people are, you know, like they're all amazing, but only one ends up getting chosen. And you almost never hear from any of these other people. Doesn't mean that they're not all amazingly talented. There's just, they just weren't lucky. You know, that sometimes, sometimes your cousin knows a guy who knows a guy who he met, you know, at a party. And the next thing you know, you have a movie made about you. You don't even deserve the movie. But other people have amazing stories and the movies just never, it just never happens. So we end up having this huge conversation. And in the middle of the conversation, Ross starts, kind of tries to include, he tries to endear himself to Deveroli's mom and his mother, he says, uh, says something. And she says, Deveroli's sister is like, well, why are you writing the book? And I went, well, I've written, uh, I wrote, I just finished a book. And something I'm going to probably start doing. And I, I think I could probably write it. And I said, probably do a pretty good job. And so um, the sister ends up saying, oh, she's like, well, what qualifies you? I'm like, well, nothing qualifies me to write a book. I said, I mean, I've read several books. And I started start kind of explaining what I've done. And and I and she goes, well, why did you write a book about yourself? And, and so Ross ends up saying something to the mother. And the mother goes, I have no idea who any of you people are. She says, I don't know who he is. I don't know why, why he would write a book or anybody would want to read a book about him. She says, I don't know who you are. And Ross says, well, Matt has actually had a big case and starts going on about my case. And then all of a sudden she turns to me and she goes, oh, my God. She goes, you were on American Greed? And I was like, um, yeah, I was on American Greed. She says, I've watched every one of those shows. What did you do? And so I start explaining what I did. And she goes, I watched your show. I remember your show. And completely her whole demeanor changes. And the sister's demeanor changes. And the brother's demeanor changes. And he's immediately like, what's going on? What did you do? Oh, my gosh. I remember that episode. So they go on and on. So we have this conversation, but keep in mind, we can only t- sit there for about an hour and then because it, it's like we're intruding on their visitation. So we end up leaving and we schedule another meeting. The next meeting we have is I don't know how long it, it, it is later. Uh, I want to say it's it's a few weeks later, a few weeks later. But this time it's just Devaroli and his sister. And it's me and Ross. So we all end up at another table inside and we have the same conversation and Ross basically they end up hammering out an agreement. During the course of while they're hammering out the agreement, I remember they ended up Ross kept saying we have to get the book done as quickly as possible. And I was like, yeah, I get it, Ross, but it takes time to write a book. He's like, "Matt, we need to get it done as fast as possible." The reason they wanted it done as as quickly as possible was because 
Warner Brothers was in the process of making or, or, or writing a screenplay about Deveroli and Pat about their about their case, Deveroli's case. But it was based on um, David Packhouse's version of the case, not Deveroli's. So it's like you and your buddy both ended up, I don't know, you know, going to school together and playing on a soccer team and winning the cha- championship. But he writes a book about it, and you're in his book. He talks about you, but he ends up writing the book and selling the book. You don't get anything. Even though he talked about you, even though he talked about you and who, about stuff in the locker room and conversations you, you had, he's allowed to do that. On top of that, in Devaroli's case in particular, there, was, there were lots of documents and there were lots of articles. So any expectation of privacy he had, he lost. So there, plus there had been an article written. So and, and that article had been optioned. So what happens is they're right currently Warner Brothers um, was, was having – a, a screenplay written based on the article that had been written in Rolling Stone magazine, and Jonah Hill wanted to play Devaroli. So I don't know if you know who I'm sure you know who Jonah Hill is. Uh, Jonah Hill was in. Um, do you know who Jonah Hill is? Right. Everybody knows who Jonah. Is that right. I don't have to explain that. Right. Okay. Everybody knows who Jonah Hill is. So I need a coffee. So what ends up happening is they end up writing this screenplay, and Ross knew that they were writing a screenplay. There was lots of stuff on on uh, there was lots of stuff on the internet about it. So Ross is like, you gotta hurry up and write the book as fast as possible. So, well I remember at one point when Deveroli and his sister kind of broke off. Like they had they kind of worked out an agreement and they well, it wasn't quite quite like that. But when when I had a conversation with with Ross, I had explained to Ross that it was going to be difficult to write a book while he was still in the prison because he had already been he'd already been put in to be transferred to Miami so he could be in he was from Miami his family's from Miami so they were going to transfer him to a camp in Miami so the idea that within the next month to 2 months I was going to be able to write a book a full 300 page book on this guy was very difficult it's difficult to write in prison you have time to write but it's difficult you don't have research materials, whatever. Well, Devaroli did have all of his stuff, and that was that was a huge help. The great, the great thing about Devaroli was his memory was phenomenal. He had an amazing memory. But I didn't know that I could do it, but I didn't really need him to do, to do it, really. I'd heard most of the stories, uh, and I had a great outline. So anyway, I end up telling Ross, look, I can I can do what I can do. And he basically, Ross was like, look, if you have to fictionalize the fucking thing, fictionalize it. He said, we'll, we'll put down, we'll basically write it up as, um, and I said, well, like, I don't want to fictionalize it. And he goes, he said, no, no. He said, we can write it as kind of like based on the, uh, you know, based on true events or based on the the story of Deveroli. He's like, we'll figure something out. He said, we can put down some kind of a, a disclaimer, whatever. We'll figure it out. Just get it done as quickly as possible. And I remember telling him, it is virtually, the more I sat with Devaroli, that it was virtually impossible to make him into a sympathetic character. He was genuinely an extra, of, of just a vicious person. I mean, his business dealings were vicious. He was constantly laughing about how he would, he would basically screw people over. I mean, he was, he was, he was vicious. And so I was like, it's going to be difficult. Like, I mean, I practically would have to fictionalize the, you know, the fucking 
portions, huge portions of this book and, and his character in general. And he's like, I don't care what you have to do, but make him as likable as possible. Get it done as quickly as possible. Um, so with that said, so one of the things about this, I should preface this by saying one of the interesting things about this is that I would written a book called Stranger Danger which was about a um it was about a guy who opens up um like a, a trailer park for um for sex offenders so they live in the trailer park and he uses them kind of like as as slave labor so the book was it was a it was a you know a not a political satire it was a satire it was just a satire um so I had kind of, you know, made this guy basically like he was taking these people that nobody wanted and he was exploiting them. And it, it was the whole thing was just kind of a satire on just sex offenders in general. And it was and I remember saying to Ross, I said, bro, I said, the guy, the guy in the book I wrote called Stranger Danger. And it was just a manuscript. It's never been. It was just something kind of I had been working on, kind of just something to do. I said, the guy that I wrote in that book is more sympathetic than, than Devaroli. And he said, I don't give a shit. He said, I need you to, to do this as quickly as possible. So I said, no problem. So our little meeting is taking place in the visitation room. And Dever and Ross ends up saying, listen, um, I think I can get an option. I can option this. And I think I might be able to get a movie. And Dev Rowley says, listen, he goes, okay, what if you can't get, what if you can't do this as quickly as possible? Like what if, what if Warner Brothers gets their script finished first? And what if Warner Brothers makes the movie before us and beats you to the punch? And Reback says, well, we'll, we'll, we'll sue them. He goes, but we have to have a book to sue them. Like we have to have that available we have to have that creation of that intellectual property to be have been created and there needs to be intellectual property out there in order for us to sue them and Devaroli goes what are you going to sue them over and I, I went what are you suing them over if they haven't like how can you sue them over like it doesn't make sense you're allowed to have multiple versions of the same story Pacow's and has a version you know um was Guy Lawson wrote up Packhouse's version, and Devaroli can have a version. I mean, how many versions of John Gotti's, you know, life, or you know, are there, or or you know, Obama, and they're all taken from different perspectives. So, Reback, so Devaroli says, "I don't understand." And I said, "Hey, how are you going to sue them over intellectual property? I haven't even written yet. Like, I mean, it doesn't even make sense." And he says, "We're going to sue them for theft of intellectual property." And I went, how? They haven't stolen anything. He says, it's not that hard to allege theft of intellectual property when there's multiple versions that are accessible. He said, so don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of it no matter what. No matter what, we're going to monetize this. And I remember thinking these guys are a couple of con men. Like I'm, I'm, I'm in prison for being a con man, but these guys are a couple of con men and I'm surrounded. Like I'm in prison and these two guys are setting up a con, a scam. So I was like, I was just like, um, yeah, I said, I, well, it doesn't really matter because I, I want to write the book and it's going to be a great book and I'm not worried about it. 
and I'm not worried about anybody suing anybody because I'm going to write a great book. So I'm not concerned. Um, I don't think it's going to come to that. And Ross was like, you know, so Ross was already like, don't worry about it. It's not going to come to that anyway. We're, I'm going to get this done. So that's fine. We end up leaving. I end up leaving visitation and I go back and I start expanding the, the outline that I'd written on Deveroli. Well, while this whole thing is happening, it turns out that, um, it turns out that, uh, Jonah Hill signs up to, he signs on board to become Deveroli, to play Deveroli, but Jonah Hill doesn't like the script. Now, I'm getting this, by the way, this information I'm getting, I got this from, from Ross. I talked to Ross, and Ross said, turns out that they, they've written a script. Jonah Hill wrote the script, and he is insisting that they rewrite the script so there's more about Deveroli in the script. Because you have to understand that because it's from David Packhouse's version, there was too much about David Packhouse. And they wanted there to be you – know, you know, Jonah Hill's a big time actor and he wanted it to be more about the character he's playing. So he's like, yeah, yeah. He said, he said, you know, he wants it to be more about Deveroli. So they re they're re they start rewriting the script. And so, De so Ross is like, you got to hurry up and finish this. You got to finish this. And I was like, okay, okay. So I start working. Well, Deveroli ends up getting transferred and I'd written a little bit more than I'd say half the book. Let's say I'd written half, maybe two thirds of the book. By the time he was done. And the great thing was he had all of his documents. Plus, he was he was amazing with the, the, his recollection. He So he ends up getting transferred, and I, I end up finishing the book. And I remember I finished the book, and I I sent the book to, Rebeck, to Ross Rebeck. When I sent the book to Ross, I remember thinking, because when Ross had read my book, he was really fairly critical. Not of the writing, but just of who, I, how I'd portray, I, I had, how I'd portrayed myself, and I and I hadn't accurately discussed my childhood or talked about my influences or or given the reader any reason to kind of root for me. Like I had left all that stuff out. Well, with Deveroli, I had included those things. Now it, I had to cherry pick the hell out of it because he had so many horrible, horrible uh, things that it, that had occurred. That he'd done, so I really cherry picked through it to kind of create a person that, um, a, a character that had, you know, basically that it was very obvious that he was driven by money and the reasons he was driven by money, and so I, I, you know, I um, embellished as much as I, I, I really felt like I embellished, and Ross was really pushing me to embellish. So, and he, but he was insisting that it was going to be based on the life of. Uh, of Ephraim Deveroli. So I sent it to him and I remember he got the book. He read the book and I called him like two, two days after I think he, he had gotten it. And I called him on the phone. I said, Hey, I said, did you read it? I'm expecting tons of notes, tons of uh, rewrites, all kinds of stuff. And he went, this is, this, this is amazing. He said, you, you absolutely knock this thing out of the park like it is it is an amazing story and i was like really and he was like absolutely he said it was great he said the only thing i have an issue with is the very ending and i was like why and he said you make the low security prison that he's in 
you make it sound like like it's Disney World. Like you make it sound like it's a joke. Like it's really kind of a tough high school that you're in and it's not dangerous. He goes, but you told me people get stabbed there. You told me people get in fights. You told me that people get, you know, that it, it can be brutal. I'm like, well, yeah, but if you've got to bring that on yourself and, you know, I didn't thought, I didn't, you know, it's, it's not that, I, ah, it's not that bad for you. He goes, but for a guy like Devaroli, it's bad. Like he, you know, he felt like Devaroli truly felt like it had ruined his life. Like it was a horrible experience and it was the worst thing that could have ever happened to him. And it was a, and I have a vastly different attitude. Anyway, he said, I need you to change that to really make the prison sound like just, you know, a, a horrible place. And I was like, oh, my God. So I was like, all right, fine. So I rewrote like the last couple of pages and I took out a few paragraphs and made it sound like a much, much more harsh place than it actually was. And I, I really focused on anything that was unfair about the prison or kind of draconian. I, I, I focused on that. Now listen, to be honest, though, like I, I, I could go into Devaroli's story and the actual book, and, and he really did get railroaded. I mean, this is a guy that I, I personally may have issues with him and don't really like him and don't think he's a, a likable, nice person. But overall, his book, you know, he really got railroaded. I mean, it's it's a he got he got a bad deal. Um all right, so so now I'm writing the book. That's pretty cool, right? Like I wrote. I wrote the name of the book was uh, "Once a Gun Runner." It was, although portions of it were were embellished and fictionalized for the the but it was the bulk of it. It was it was a good it was an amazing story, and the bulk of it was based on on his story. And so, and, and look, a lot of it was was way more accurate than maybe Lawson's book or or whatever. I mean, according to according to Devaroli, obviously. Um, Devaroli was thrilled by the book. I remember his sister read the book. His sister came back and was like, "This is this is an amazing this is an amazing uh, telling of his story. It's phenomenal." Of course, it did. It made his her brother sound like a great guy. Uh, and of course, I'm sure she she saw him as a great guy. So, I Ross has the book, and um, yeah, Ross has got the book, and Ross starts pitching the book. So it turns out that Devaroli had a cousin that worked in Hollywood. And his cousin, Devaroli, I remember when he told Ross and I about his cousin, he said, Yeah, my cousin could probably help us out. He goes, My cousin, like he's he he goes, Well, he thinks he's into the industry. He goes, I mean, he goes, the 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 movie industry, he goes, he's basically a schmuck. He said, but he's he thinks he's in the industry. He goes, he may know some people. And Ross is like, Yeah, well, I know some people, so it, it'll be it we'll work it out. Well, what ends up happening is Devaroli at some point contacts his cousin, and I'm pretty sure his cousin ends up getting in touch with a guy and a, a, a producer, friend of his, and tells him, my cousin is Ephraim Devaroli, and he's written a book. Well, that particular cousin, his friend that he talked to, knew, had a business partner, his business partner was the son of the vice president of Warner Brothers. So he contacts him and he says, look, Devaroli has written a book. And you guys are in the process. So they basically, they were in the process of rewriting the screenplay for War Dogs. 
And so what they end up saying is he ends up saying, well, do you want to see, do you want to read the book? Do you want to see the book? Like he's got a whole manuscript. So the son, the, the son of the Warner, his name is Shimmy. Shimmy. Yeah. So Shimmy ends up, uh, ends up saying he is interested. So Deveroli's cousin's buddy, they end up contacting Shimmy ends up contacting and Deverol and, and the, the buddy that the, the producers, these two producers end up contacting Ross Reback. Ross Reback um, knows who both of these guys are. And I remember I called Ross on the phone and I said, hey, Ross, what's going on? He goes, good news. And I said, what's that? He said, it turns out that this there's a guy named Shimmy and he wants to see Deveroli's book. He is a producer. He and another guy are producers and and that that Deveroli's cousin has put up, put us all in contact. Oh, okay. And he said, so they're interested. Oh, okay. And I said, I said, well, that's good. I said, so what are they going to do? They're going to make like a documentary. If they're they're documentary producers, he's like, yeah, they want to contact us to get a hold of the book. I'm having them both sign a non disclosure agreement, which is weird. The non disclosure agreement essentially says, I'm going to give you the book, but you're not allowed to show it to anybody. Not a lot of people have you sign these. Very few people have you sign something like this. Uh, so Shimmy signs it. The other guy signs it. I forget his name right now. Um, they both sign it. And while I'm while we're talking, I said, well, what, what have these guys done? And it turns out that it, Ross tells me, well, the good news is that the one guy, Shimmy's father, is the vice president of Warner Brothers. And I said... What, he is a vice president of Warner Brothers. They have several. He goes, he's the vice president of Warner Brothers. And I went, oh, okay. So, so what, you're going to try and get him to talk to his dad about the book? Like, like, what are you going to like about the book? Like, what are you talking about? Like, they've already bought Lawson's, they've already options, optioned Lawson's, Lawson's, God, I can't talk today. They have already optioned Lawson, Guy Lawson's version of the story. Coming in with another, another version of the story doesn't really make sense. Granted, Jonah Hill was not happy with with the the script. They were in the middle of rewriting it, but I didn't I didn't put it together. So he says, "No, no." He said, "Nothing like that. It it but it may open up some possibilities for us." And I went, "Oh, okay. You know, look, this isn't my department. I'm not I'm in prison. I got my own fucking problems. I got a I got a counselor who's going around uh, searching lockers who if you have you're supposed to have you're allowed to have two shelves in your locker and some guys had three shelves in their lockers because they bought shelves from other guys and so i've got a counselor who's going around opening up your locker and yanking out one of your shelves i mean these are the kinds of things that occupy my time is trying to hide my shelf in my pit my extra shelf in my pillow so my counselor doesn't steal it i mean you, you can see like i have other issues like my what's important to me is not important to other people um so i'm like yeah okay okay so i hang up the phone and so now this – I'm telling you all of this because n- now the groundwork is kind of – you should kind of understand. Like you, it's set. And w- what essentially happens is according to Deveroli's lawsuit, the son of Warner Brothers president, Shimmy, 
ends up getting the manuscript and giving it to his father. Now, Warner Brothers never denies this, which is odd because, in my opinion, Deverolli and, and Ross and everybody kind of set up this kid to get a hold of the manuscript. Like they kind of do an end run around to say, hey, to talk to this guy to talk, and talks to this guy. Now, was that on purpose? I feel like it was kind of on purpose, but I don't know that. What I know is that that Deveroli's cousin talked to this guy and this guy talked to this guy and this guy asked for the manuscript and they gave him the manuscript and he also was the son of Warner Brothers president, which Ross was super excited about. And Ross and Deveroli seemed like they were ready to fucking sue Warner Brothers anyway. So what ends up happening, what ends up happening is as a result of that whole thing, um, the screenplay gets rewritten at the same time. So at the same time that they that the that the manuscript ends up in this guy's hands, the screenplay gets completed. So Ross is is furious, like not furious at this moment, but what ends up happening is he later finds out that he he later talks to Shimmy and finds out that. But Shimmy and the the other producer and finds out that Shimmy's father is a vice president with Warner Brothers. And so he immediately acts offended. Like he's like, what? I didn't know that. I never would have given you the manuscript if I'd known that. And hangs up the phone on him. But the truth is he knew the kid was the son of a Warner Brothers vice president prior to ever giving him the manuscript. So what he was doing was he was setting the whole thing up in order to sue Warner Brothers. That was the whole that was the whole purpose of that. Um, well, at this point, basically, Ross isn't trying to pitch, even trying to pitch Deveroli's story. He's not really trying to get a deal anymore. He's basically now just trying to get an attorney to sue Warner Brothers. Because he knows that he knows that the movie's coming out. Uh, because they, they're now they are now going to they're now using their own script. Um, they end up making the movie. Um, you know, Todd Phillips makes the movie. Uh, God, what is his name? Bradley Cooper's in it. Uh, Jonah Hill is in it. Uh, is it Miles? Is it Miles Davis? David Davis? Miles? Teller, Miles Teller, Miles Teller is in it. He plays uh, David Pakow. So all these guys are in it. They end up making the movie. Well, before the movie even comes out, Deveroli basically, he doesn't talk to me at all. Ross stops talking to me completely. I end up writing, well, I I, I end up writing, um, writing Deveroli a letter in which I say, I don't know what you guys are doing. You need to get your shit together. You guys should be trying to get a book deal. I don't know why you're focusing on suing Warner Brothers. They haven't done anything wrong. You know, what are you doing? Uh, same thing. I, I basically end up saying a similar thing to, to Reback. And essentially, you have to understand that I'm in prison. Like, I was banking on this thing to make some make me some money, and it's made me no money. And not just that. Like, they're not even trying to get a book deal. They they at one point had a had a book deal. That was they were, according to Ross, were about to sign a book deal with Simon and Schuster. You know, they they had they had a several people offering them book deals. What ends up happening? The problem is they can't get the book out very you know quick enough. So Ross ends up getting self publishing the book. 
but I don't know this because they're not really talking to me. So Ross is hardly ever picking up the phone, not really responding to emails. And what I decide is, um, you know, I just kind of, I'm, I'm so frustrated by the whole thing. But at one point, I find out that Deveroli has actually published the book. I find that out when a guy comes up to me one day and I'm sitting in an area called Stonehenge and this guy comes up to me and he says, hey, Matt, he said, and I'm like, yeah, what's up? And he says, bro, he said, uh, are you making any money on that book? And I go, what book? He was that Deveroli book. Uh, you wrote his memoir, right? And I went, yeah, but I said, I'm not making any money on it. They haven't sold any books. Like they, they haven't, they haven't published the book. They, they might have a deal with Simon and Schuster. I don't know. I haven't talked to them in God weeks, maybe months. I'm not sure. And the guy goes, what are you talking about? And he opens up, there's a magazine called Ocean's Drive Magazine. It's a, a big glossy magazine from, from Miami. He opens up Ocean's Drive Magazine and he shows me a picture of Deveroli on one of the pages of the magazine. And Deveroli's holding a copy of the book that I wrote, his memoir, Once a Gun Runner. It's got a picture of him on it and he's holding the book. And it, and he's got probably several hundred books piled up behind him. And he's at a book signing. He, he's at a, at a, a book fair where he's signing books. My name's on the front of the book with his. And he's signing books. And I had no, I, I had no idea that the book had been published and that they were signing books. I had gotten no money. People aren't answering my calls. And so I freak out. I'm furious. Um, I end up calling Ross several times. I eventually end up talking to Ross. And when I talk to Ross, I'm like, hey, man, I just saw this and this. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we self-published it. And he, he like, blows it up like, like, oh, it's no big deal. And we just figured to go this route. We want to get it out, you know, before the uh, – we want to get it out before the movie comes out. And, and he said – and I said, well, what are you doing? Because he's not telling me really anything. So I, I said, what are you doing? He's, oh, we're waiting for the – we're about to file our lawsuit Set, um, because it turns out that Shimmy is the son of the vice president of Warner Brothers, and we believe that they used the book in order to rewrite the entire screenplay to put more of you know Ephraim Deveroli's character in the screenplay or in the movie for for Jonah Hill, and so we're suing them. It's like you. He, he was – I remember he was saying it to me like, can you believe that Warner Brothers sent one of the – one of the kit – sent his – Warner Brothers vice president sent – he sent his son to try – to get a copy of the manuscript so they could steal it from us. That was his pitch to me over the phone. Like he was like, can you believe that? And I'm like, but I knew – like I guess Ross had forgotten that he told me. He forgot. I must. He must have forgotten that he told me that he knew before he ever gave him the fucking thing that he was a. He, his father was uh, worked for Warner Brothers. So I was like, oh, okay. He said, yeah. So we're suing him. We're suing this other guy. We're suing. Uh, they were suing everybody. You know, Warner Brothers. We're suing New Line Cinema. We're suing. You know, like like all kinds of. I don't know who else. I don't know if it's New Line Cinema. They were suing a bunch of people. And. 
He's like, right now they just came out with all the trailers for Warner Brothers, and we're cut. We've got guys going through the trailers, cutting up the trailers to try and figure out which scenes they stole from the manuscript. Keep in mind, the manuscript is partially fabricated. So, what does it matter? Anyway, I, I'm just, I'm, and I'm still in prison with no money. With now, there's obviously not going to be a movie about this guy, and you know these these guys. This the whole the just the whole thing was just horrible. It was just a horrible situation, and I felt like I'd just been robbed. I'd worked really hard on this thing. I really was excited about it, only because I thought it would get my name out there. And it, just the whole thing had just fallen. But this whole thing, I'm con- condensing this into one little you know, part because I, I otherwise, cause it drag, this dragged out over years. Now keep in mind, Ross and Devaroli felt like they could do anything they wanted to me because at this point, my sentence has my out date. I'm being released from prison in 2030. I've got a 26 year sentence. I'm, I've got a whole bunch of time left. And so they can basically do whatever they want to because, let's face it, I don't really matter and I'm not a factor. There's, they don't – they kind of figure there's nothing I can do from prison. So, um, yeah, so that's the situation that was currently happening was these guys were about to sue Warner Brothers for, you know – God for mil, you know, I don't know what they were asking for, 60 million or 30. I forget how many millions and millions they wanted from Warner Brothers. And they were uh they were fi- and they'd file they end up filing their uh, lawsuit. They end up filing a lawsuit against them. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up because uh this is long and drawn out and uh I'm sorry it's and it's and it's it's a much more it's a much more complicated version of what happened than most people understand so you know typically when people say oh yeah yeah matt's the guy that wrote the movie war dogs that's just not true like that's not what ended up happening that's not how it unraveled and so i hate that so i thought i'd go ahead and take this opportunity to kind of lay it out on to tell you what did happen so anyway that's pretty much it um do me a favor subscribe hit the bell so you get notified of the next video i really appreciate you watching Thank you very much. Uh, Leave comments on the comment section if you have any ideas for me. And I try and answer as many comments as possible. And I appreciate it. And um, thanks. Thanks a lot. See ya.